0: Welcome to Prairie Doc on Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Doc programs. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube and go to prairie-doc.org for more information on making a charitable gift. Myths are
1: stories that are based on tradition. Some may have factual origins, while others are completely fictional. Medical Mythbusters, tonight, on call with the Prairie Doc. If you swallow gum, it will sit in your body for seven years before you can digest it. When a jellyfish stings you, the first thing you should do is pee on the injury to neutralize the thing and sitting too close to the TV can ruin your eyes. At some point in your life, you probably heard one of those statements and others like them. Your parents may have even used them to get you to do things when you were a child to trying to get you to be healthy, like taking a break from watching television. Many of these old wives tales and myths have been with us for centuries, but is there any merit to them? Or are they merely stories passed down from generation to generation? Hello, I'm Dr. Jill Cruz, your Prairie Doc host this evening. Tonight's episode is part of our 22nd season, providing health information based on science, built on trust. Tonight, we will discuss, debunk or prove common medical myths and old wives tales. Joining us to address this topic is Dr. Amy Cook from Sanford Health Brookings Clinic and Dr. Stephanie Broderson from Sanford 26 and More Family Medicine and now moving up here to Brookings. Correct. All right, well welcome and thank you for joining us today in the studio here in Brookings on the campus of South Dakota State University. Well, tell us a little about, about yourself. Dr. Cook, you start? Yeah, I'm Dr. Amy Cook, I'm a family
2: medicine physician here in Brookings, South Dakota. I, I went to school at SDSU and then I did my medical school training in uh, Omaha at the University of Nebraska Medical Center and then I did my family medicine residency at the Center for Family Medicine in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and then I came up to Brookings, and I've been here since 2016 at the Brookings Sanford
1: Clinic. Excellent, so we got some jackrabbits in the room here. <laughs> All right, well, Dr. Broderson, introduce yourself to our audience.
3: Oh, I'm Stephanie, <clears throat> Stephanie Broderson, mm-hmm. and I also did undergrad here at SDSU just a little earlier, I went to medical school at University of South Dakota and I did my residency in the Army at Triple R Army Medical Center in Hawaii. So that was a little bit of a unique experience. I came back to Sioux Falls when I was done in the military and I was practicing there for the last 24 years and I'll actually be finishing up in Sioux Falls at the end of the month. And I am going to be up here then full-time at the Sanford Clinic in Brookings. Well, welcome back to Jack Reva Country. This Thank is you. great. All three of us uh, SDSU alums, that's fun.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Broderson, what's one of the more common medical myths or old wives tales that you hear in your practice?
3: Well, actually, the jellyfish sting is one that I heard quite a bit during my residency because I was living in Hawaii and that was one of the very common things that we saw in also sea urchin sting, centipede bites, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, you know, there may be a little bit of truth to the rumor about peeing on it. Um, acid tends to help with the jellyfish sting. We actually just carried um, some Accent, um, the monosodium glutamate food additive that people sometimes use for meat tenderizing. Mm-hmm. That seems to, seemed to always do a good job. That was a recommendation from the locals. All right, so we've got our first plausible, but there's better options. Correct. All right,
1: sounds good. So we don't want an episode of friends going on here. Uh, No, no. All right, Dr. Cook, uh, do you have a particular myth that you've heard a lot from your patients or one that you heard growing
2: up? One thing that often comes up from both parents, grandparents, and sometimes even the medical professionals is that a fever of 104 needs to go to the emergency room and uh, we just don't necessarily treat the number of the temperature, we treat the patient itself. So uh, if they have a temperature of 104 and the child is happy, playing, running around, drinking, eating, everything, we don't get too worried about it, but if they have a temperature of 102 and they can barely lift up their arm, that's more worrisome for us.
1: I think temperatures in general is something I ran into a lot and people say, well, my temperature is normally this and now it's it's higher. So therefore I have a fever, even though they were well below our definition of a fever, which is 100.5 or higher um i know there have been some studies done at looking at people with generations saying what is a normal temperature and each generation the baby boomers gen x uh millennials have a different baseline body temperature so when people say yeah mine's lower yeah you're probably your generation is probably a little bit lower and then the next generation it's a little higher so you know saying 98.6 is normal is not really Normal. No, it's a range. It's a I range. I think that's yeah. basically
3: what we're finding out is it's a range. Yes.
1: Yeah. So to say, yep, I'm normally 97, so I'm 99. So that must be a f- terrible fever is not actually true. No. No. And one that I had to deal with a lot when I was in primary care. You know, I always tell people water boils at the same temperature, whether it started as ice or as tap water, you, you have to hit that certain number before it's considered a fever.
3: That's correct.
1: All right, well this season we have been asking some of our health professionals that join us each week what myths they see in their practice. Let's hear from our first medical professional.
4: There is a medical myth that you need to drink eight glasses of water a day.
1: All right, Dr. Cook, do we really need eight uh, glasses of water a day?
2: I think that completely depends on the situation and the person. Somebody who's out in the heat and uh, sweating may need a lot more than somebody who's sitting at home and not doing anything in an air conditioning room. So a lot of times it's not a set number that we have to be uh, hitting each day, but to uh, drink to thirst and to make sure that our urine is clear and not very yellow, concentrated,
1: dark. I I know my nephrologist friends that we've had on the show have talked about that. that The body has a wonderful way of concentrating urine and thirst is a wonderful mechanism to tell us we need more water. So let's uh, see, Uh, Dr. says is there any
3: problems with drinking too much water? Can that be harmful for people? Yeah, there actually can be. You can uh, have electrolyte imbalances if you drink too much and that can make people quite ill. Definitely. All right. Well, let's see what Dr.
1: Bartholomew has to say about this myth.
4: The myth that you have to drink eight glasses of water a day was started from a government recommendation in around 1946 that recommended that people needed about eight glasses of fluid a day. And this has been repeated so often that people think you need to drink eight glasses of water a day. What they really meant was that you need enough fluid throughout your diet, which includes soups, uh, tea, coffee, et cetera, to keep yourself hydrated. Most people do not need eight glasses of drinking water a day. And in fact, when you get older and have congestive heart failure, it can actually be harmful. The fact is, is, is that if your urine is clear, you're getting plenty of fluids and you don't have to force it.
1: Well, Dr. Cook, uh, one myth we hear a lot about is regarding concussions and that you need to keep someone awake or you should be waking them up every hour. Is that true or where did that myth come from?
2: I would say that is definitely not true. We know that sleep is very important for health and recovery in a concussion. So if we're interrupting somebody's much needed sleep, it can actually potentially prolong their recovery from a per, uh, concussion. So it would be better to allow them to sleep and get the adequate sleep. Yeah.
1: And this is definitely a holdover from before we had CT scanners and we could check and make sure there weren't other things uh, associated with hitting your head, um, like you know bleeding on the brain or swelling of the brain that would be potentially fatal if we didn't find that Obviously, if we're able to get someone to the emergency room, do a scan, make sure none of those other issues are going on, we don't need to wake them up to make sure they're still coherent where those other conditions would cause someone not to wake up and need to get immediate medical treatment, Mm -hmm. so, all right, well, let's uh, go to the one we had in the intro here, chewing gum, does it stay in your stomach for seven years, Dr. Broderson? No, it does not. (laughs) Okay. So all of those pieces of gum that the kids are swallowing when they're going back in from recess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know I did that a couple times when I was in elementary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, they'll come out. Okay, so it uh, goes out the other end. Absolutely. No problem, all right. I I will say I have seen wads of chewing gum when I was doing uh, EGDs, upper endoscopies Mm -hmm. and looking into someone's stomach. Mm -hmm. So I did find one that had been sitting there but it looked pretty fresh. So no, definitely not sitting there for seven years. All right. Next myth here, sitting too close to the TV is gonna ruin your eyes. Dr. Cook, uh, I know my mom told me this one. Did your mom tell you this too? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> were they right?
2: No, I think it's gonna contribute more to eye fatigue. And we know that extended TV time for kids, more than two hours a day for kids over the age of two or even less than that for under the age of two can be harmful for their development.
1: Yes, but they're not going to end up in the eye doctor's office because of that. So, All right, well, this should go back to your Hawaii experience. Mm-hmm. Do you need to wait an hour after eating to get back in the pool or go swimming?
3: No, you really do not need to wait an hour. You should be fine. Some people were, you've heard stories about where they would get bad cramps or things like that, but no, that's... That is definitely yeah. just a myth.
1: Yeah, as a former lifeguard, I could say it's it's what moms used again, I think, to get you out mm. of the pool and home to calm down a little bit before you went back, so. All right. Well, right in time for Thanksgiving, does eating turkey make you drowsy? We, we talk about the tryptophan. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. This has been passed around for many, many years, but I don't believe there's been any studies that show that tryptophan really causes drowsiness in the turkey, it's probably more that you overate and all that excitement and such, it's making you tired.
1: And the extra carbs with mm-hmm. the rolls and the sweet potatoes and the mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, definitely. All right. Well, next medical myth. Can pregnant women take baths? I know you did lots of OB care.
3: Yeah, so yes they can. What we tell them not to do though is soak in a hot tub, at least not their entire abdomen. We really don't want to raise their core temperature to a point that it could cause harm to the baby, but a bath is fine. Okay,
1: so no one's gonna make their bath as hot as a hot tub at a a hotel or...
3: Yeah, and otherwise swimming is a great exercise for pregnant women, so we would strongly encourage it, and even in a heated pool if it's not highly heated. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, next myth,
1: can cell phones damage your hearing? I guess I've never heard this
2: one, but if you have it up too loud for too long, it could.
1: But yeah. regular use, regular volume. Yeah, especially mm-hmm. if you're on speakerphone. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's gonna be blasting that much. The other one I've heard with cell phones is, you know, with radiation. Is it gonna mm-hmm. cause a brain tumor? I know that was a big one right when cell phones came out in the '90s. That mm-hmm. everyone told me, oh my gosh, you're gonna get a tumor. You gotta be careful. Use hands-free. And that's when all the the Bluetooth uh, hands-free devices were super popular. Have you guys seen any? No, I have cell not phone. seen
3: brain cancer okay. from cell
1: phone. Okay. All right. Well, let's go to our next video.
5: Many people seem to believe that if something is natural, that is, it comes directly from nature, it must be safe and good for you. That simply is not true.
1: All right. Well, Dr. Broderson. Talking about vitamins, supplements that they tout since they're natural, they must be safe, they must be good?
3: Not necessarily. I think there are too many variations on what natural is. I mean, I think there's not good defined, there, there's some terminologies that have some definitions to them, but not all of them are very clear. I still think if you eat a healthy, well rounded diet of Fruits and vegetables, you know, good whole foods. Um, If you have fruits, you certainly wanna wash them. You wanna get rid of any pesticides that might be on them. Uh, Some people choose to have organic produce and that's all fine. But the key is a good variety of fruits, vegetables, and everything in your diet should give you most of what you need. And you most of the time wouldn't even need to necessarily have to take a vitamin. All right, so and
1: then talking also about how the FDA doesn't regulate these because these aren't considered drugs, they're considered supplements. So what you get in one brand of vitamins may be
3: completely different than the next or batch to batch from the same company. That's absolutely true, and that's a bit of a problem when you're trying to uh, guide patients with that, so. All right, excellent. Well, let's see what uh, the answer is here from Dr. Dean.
5: there are many totally natural substances which are dangerous and actually, in fact, potentially deadly, just to name a few. Arsenic, asbestos, lead, mercury, rattlesnake venom, anthrax. All of these are totally natural, but are very dangerous. In a somewhat less dramatic sense, things like there are things like herbal remedies. These are also natural and potentially in some situations helpful. But they also have major systemic effects, and if not used properly and in the appropriate doses, they can be very dangerous.
1: All right, well, always make sure to talk with your doctor about supplements and vitamins. There can be interactions, especially uh, with blood thinners, I know, with with certain supplements and vitamins, or like St. John's Warts with antidepressants. You really have to be careful with mixing some of these medications, even though they're over-the-counter and uh, not a prescription, they can interact with those prescription medications. So definitely something to talk with the pharmacist, talk with your doctor about, and make sure that
3: what you're taking is safe and that we know about it. And even um, there are some things that are very healthy for you, but I'll give you two examples. I have uh, had a kidney transplant and two things that I cannot have anymore are grapefruit and pomegranate because they will interact with some of my transplant medications. The same is true for some medications uh, with cholesterol medications and even though they're very good for you and very healthy. I can't take them
1: yeah so it's important to know those things so well let's get to some more myths here this is a fun episode I've been looking forward to this all season all right does eating late at night cause weight gain they always say no midnight snacking cuz you'll gain weight
2: sometimes it can if um, there are some uh, disordered eating habits that we can absorb calories differently than during the day. And if you're taking in a lot of calories at night, there are some people who wake up in the middle of the night and don't even know that they're eating, and they can take a significant amount of calories overnight and that could
1: contribute to weight gain. Yes, I've seen uh, sleep eating uh, specifically with some uh, sleeping medications like Ambien, Mm -hmm. when people will do stuff and have no recollection that they did that till the next morning and they see the dishes all over the the kitchen. Mm -hmm. So yes, definitely. So another plausible. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, next myth, does drinking cranberry juice really help with the UTI a bladder infection?
3: It won't cure one, but there are some substances in cranberry juice that can be bacteriostatic, meaning it can limit the growth of the bacteria, but it still won't get rid of it.
1: And I've had a lot of people use cranberry supplements, cranberry juice. Mm-hmm. I always tell, cranberry juice is an easy thing to have in the morning. Yeah. It doesn't taste that bad, especially if it's got mm-hmm. a little apple juice mixed in with it. It's not so tart. It doesn't hurt anything. It
3: doesn't hurt anything. And the funny thing is, some of those same substances are found in other juices. It's mm-hmm. not just cranberries. All right. But they're the ones that get all the, uh, all the attention, all the press.
1: All right. Well, more pregnancy, miss. Uh, a woman can't get pregnant during her period.
3: Generally speaking, that is true, but that is not an absolute. Yep.
1: So can't use that as your Absolutely planning? Absolutely not, no. All right. Well, how about another bedtime myth? Does drinking warm milk help you sleep better, Dr. Cook? If you feel like it does, go for it, but I don't think it's gonna be your
2: cure-all for
1: insomnia. No. So but definitely if you use it as part of a good sleep hygiene, I think we talk about sleep hygiene being so important for people getting mm-hmm. good rest of going to bed at the same time every night, getting up at the same time, even during the weekends, despite my love of sleeping in. You know, limiting uses of phones and tablets before bed and that blue light exposure. I think just really good habits with that, having your bedroom be a place where you sleep and using that rather than, I would say, trying to rely on warm milk to fix your problem. Mm -hmm. All right, well, another myth here, uh, as we're hitting the winter months, do you lose most of your body heat through your head? We've heard that
3: one. Mom
1: always said I had to put a hat on because
3: that's where I'm losing all my heat. You can lose some heat. It's actually a little bit more true for babies. Babies do lose a lot of the heat through their head, um, but as you get older and bigger, that's not true. And more so hair mm-hmm. <laughs> all right sounds good speaking of hair
1: going out in the cold with wet hair will that make you sick no no I, I think I tested this one multiple times as a college freshman running <laughs> late to class <laughs> in the morning and I can tell despite uh, my mother's warnings I did not get sick <laughs> so um, one thing I did notice when I was Doing, trying to do some due diligence and research on these myths uh, for that one in particular. Uh, they said sleeping with wet hair could put you at higher risk of getting like a fungal infection because of your hair, that damp, moist, dark environment against, trapped against your pillow could put you at a higher risk for for that, but it's not gonna make you sick. No. So. Uh, all right, next myth. Can sugar make kids hyper? A very important question right after Halloween.
3: (laughs) Not necessarily, although it does seem to affect uh, children with ADHD a little bit more strongly, I guess, than it would just average kids. Okay,
1: so all the environments where they're getting sugar, the birthday parties, Mm -hmm. the school parties, that's, they're hyper because it's a fun environment. For the most part, part. Mm All right, So, so a little plausible. See, I'm seeing there is a trend with a lot of these myths. There's a tiny plausible or a tiny nugget of truth that sometimes gets thrown
3: out of proportion.
1: Exactly. All right, well time for another video myth.
0: My medical myth is that deodorant causes breast cancer.
3: Mm.
1: So we, I've heard that one a lot from patients that were very concerned as we were talking about their annual mammogram and screening. Dr. Cook, uh, have you heard this from your patients as well? I've
2: had a lot of patients that are switching to more natural, which throws back to the previous myth mm-hmm. too, more natural deodorants for fear of this, which if it works for them still, that's fine, but the deodorant is not gonna be causing the breast cancer. All right. Well, let's uh,
1: hear Dr. Higgins' answer.
0: This myth
3: is not true there has not been evidence to show that deodorant causes breast cancer. However, we do ask women to not wear deodorant or lotions to their mammogram because it can make it hard to see the things we need to. It can obscure the picture. Um, So because we ask this, this myth has been perpetuated.
1: All right, well, this is a great example of the power of advertising and how sometimes the science not necessarily behind the product. So definitely always talk with your doctor if you have a question or concerns about a certain product. So we have so many more myths to go through, but I think this has been a really informative uh, episode so far. So our next myth, babies get fevers when they're teething. Dr. Roterson, you've got lots of PEDS
3: patients. Yeah, they don't get generally, they might have a slight increase in their temperature, but generally speaking, no, that's really not true.
1: So if you're, six-month-old has a high fever, don't just blow it off and say they're teething and ignore it. Correct. Get it checked out. Could yes. be something else. Could be ears, could be... Oh,
3: yeah, it could be a virus. It could, could be, be an ear infection. Tons of things. Oh,
1: absolutely. All right. Well, this was my favorite uh, myth that I uh, did some research on busting. Cracking joints causes arthritis. Dr. Cook? <laughs> no. No.
2: <laughs> I think it's just more of the the popping of the joints. Um, I don't even know where this would have came from, but it's more of your genetics that's gonna predispose you to, and and carrying excess
1: weight can predispose you to uh, arthritis.
2: Yeah, so I talked
1: about this on the radio show. There was a doctor that actually cracked his knuckles twice a day on his left hand for 50 years and left his right hand, never cracked it as a control, and didn't get arthritis in either hand. So the cracking okay. of the knuckles, you're just gapping the joint. There's synovial fluid, and then you get a little bubble in that synovial fluid and it pops just like snapping your gum. So you're not, that's, that's making the sound. It's not the knuckles or the bones rubbing and grinding against each other, that's right? All right, well, next myth. Are eating carrots good for your eyesight?
3: I mean, they contain a lot of vitamin A, which is definitely helpful for eyesight, but you can get vitamin A from other sources as well. All
1: right, well, this was another one I had fun researching on and found out that, the, this goes back to World War II, another World War II myth. Um, the Royal Air Force was talking about how their pilots were eating so many carrots and that's why they had such good vision and they could shoot down the enemy. They were actually using radar. <laughs> And they did not want to give away to any of the uh, enemies that they were using radar technology to find their targets and shoot them. So that's where the myth was born. A little espionage uh, going on here and it stuck. That's so, a good one. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. All right. Well, we're in that time of year. Should you feed a cold and starve a fever? I've heard that one from my grandma. No,
3: no. no. Make sure you stay well hydrated at all times. Okay, so if you feel like eating, eat. Exactly. So what about chicken soup? It's not gonna hurt anything, but it's no. not gonna cure you.
2: It can feel nice going down a sore throat. There mm-hmm.
3: you go. So a good way to get
1: vitamins, nutrients, liquids, which Absolutely. is always important. I always tell people, if you don't feel like eating, that's fine as long as you keep drinking. Because sometimes Clearly. when you're sick, you, don't, you mm-hmm. don't feel like eating. No, you don't. So don't force mm-hmm. it, but that's a good way to get some good food in you to stay hydrated. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, does wearing a copper bracelet help with arthritis? You know, for the hand that we didn't crack the knuckles on. <laughs> I would say no. Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of the kiosks yeah. in the mall with, with copper. Um, a lot of anecdotal evidence with that, but mm-hmm. I don't see anything published talking about copper bracelets or copper insoles or copper anything. And as long as you're not spending a lot of money, it's pretty low risk, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, so. Exactly again, I would say, yeah, we talk about risk benefit ratios with medicine all the time. Risk is very low if you get a benefit, great, but like you said, don't spend a lot of money expecting a dramatic result. So all right, well, let's keep hitting some more miss here. We are just busting miss left and right. Oh, this is one that always makes me nervous when I hear people repeat it. We'll put, Uh, Will putting butter on a burn ease the
3: pain? Not that I'm aware, so please don't do that. Especially if there's salt in it, it might actually hurt worse. Mm -hmm. And that oil is going to trap that heat in. Mm -hmm.
1: So, what would you guys recommend to put on a burn? Ice or
3: cool, cool water, Mm -hmm. water, I always say
1: cool water. Mm -hmm. What about aloe or do you guys use?
3: Um, I think aloe is fine, (laughs) it is, it is helpful for burns and it's a it will allow the wound to breathe and release the heat. Um, it keep it moisturized. So I don't yep. think that's a bad thing. Yep.
1: And I know we've talked with our dermatologist one time about medicinal honey with wound care. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't used that much mm-hmm. in my practice, but mm-hmm. I know that that is also an an option that right. we could use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a little that's, bit more expensive. You don't yeah. wanna use mm-hmm. the stuff out of the bear. <laughs> right. <laughs> but right. there is medical grade honey that mm-hmm. you can order, I mm-hmm. think over the counter from Amazon. Yep. I believe so. so, yes. So, all right well another halloween related uh, does eating chocolate cause acne no no neither does pizza (laughs) okay so so what does cause acne
3: bacteria bacteria
1: Mm -hmm. all right and definitely so that's why we're talking about people using the antibacterial face washes taking sometimes we'll have people on antibiotics like doxycycline or minocycline to help cure acne also Mm -hmm. hormones in teenagers Mm -hmm. that can definitely affect the size of their pores and cause things to get
3: Yeah, and good hand washing, because a lot of people just touching their faces after touching everything else.
1: I think we learned in COVID when it first started how much we touched our face. I don't (laughs) think anyone realized how much we were constantly touching our faces, and then we all became very acutely aware of it.
3: Absolutely.
1: All right, well, our next video is a common myth
4: there's a medical myth that antibiotics can prevent a cold from getting worse
1: oh that is one that we hear a lot about just give me my z-pack so this doesn't turn into bronchitis
3: or doesn't turn into pneumonia no no absolutely not that's that's probably one of our least favorite myths i think is yeah Mm -hmm. no that's yes. not true. And to understand
1: that yeah, your 10-day course of antibiotics is also coinciding with the 10, 10 days. days of your viral infection. Exactly. Yeah.
3: Exactly. It's yeah. hard to get people to believe that though. But yeah.
1: that, that one is a very hard one because a lot of people have personal experience and they right. said, you know what, I had this for so long and then I finally went to the mm-hmm. doctor and they finally gave me medicine and I finally got better. And was it the antibiotics? Was it the natural course of the infection? Was it a little bit of both? Did it start Mm -hmm. viral and turn into bacterial? I mean, there's so many factors, but to say you need antibiotics every time you have a sniffle, I think would be inappropriate use of, of
3: that resource. And the proof is in the pudding. I mean, look at all the antibiotic resistance that we have now because a lot of times, you know, physicians and other practitioners have given in to the mm-hmm. demands of the patient and given it to them anyway, even when we know it's yes. not right. On this note too, a right. uh, green drainage does not
2: mean it's a bacterial infection that yes. and clear doesn't
1: mean it's viral. Right. Yep, and people are very interested in the color mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't tell you what you're dealing with. All right, well, let's see what Dr. Bartholomew's answer is
4: this is a myth and the use of antibiotics the overuse of antibiotics is causing a lot of resistant bacteria when antibiotics are used they also kill the normal flora in our gut and in our ear nose and throat areas and these bacteria actually help us fight off some of the bad bacteria. When antibiotics are overused, they create resistant bacteria. And now we have a germ called Clostridia difficile that causes bloody diarrhea and is highly, highly associated with overuse of antibiotics. In fact, the and Augmentin, two of the most used antibiotics in children, will cause one out of eight of those children to develop diarrhea. The overuse of antibiotics has led to a lot of resistant germs and it should be discouraged.
1: All right, well, Dr. Cook, what can we take to help with colds that's not an antibiotic? A lot of times it's
2: getting your rest, getting hydrated pushing fluids, Some over-the-counters can be helpful. If you can take Tylenol or the ibuprofen, naproxen to help with pain, fever, to help you get through symptoms. And then some of the cough-cold medications can be helpful. In kids, a lot of the cough medications are not beneficial, but actually honey can be a good cough suppressant in kids.
1: And a lot easier to get them to take Mm -hmm. because it tastes a lot better.
3: Exactly.
1: So, but we do want to mention with infants under the age of one, we don't want to get honey too because of the risk (laughs) of uh, Mm botulinum. Yeah. So, all right, well, these are really great myths that we're talking about. And again, Mm -hmm. you can talk about, you know, here's the truth, here's the myth, and here's the in between. Mm -hmm. So well, let's keep tackling away at all of these. Is taking fish oil good for your heart?
3: Fish oil does have a lot of benefits. The omega th- omega-3s are actually you know, very healthy and they can help your heart to an extent. Yeah, so there's some truth to that. Yeah, and there's prescription medication that is basically medicinal grade fish oil. Exactly. That can help with lowering cholesterol, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, yeah. basically they reduce antioxidants throughout mm-hmm. your body so it's not just your heart either. All right, so another plausible. There you go. All right. How about sitting in a hot tub? Can that
1: affect a man's ability to reproduce? It affects sperm counts.
3: That is true. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. So, that heat
3: can definitely affect yep, the sperm production, and it could be in a number of different ways. It could be in the sperm form, how they swim, numbers. So, it can affect a number of different things.
1: Okay. So, avoid that hot tub. When you're trying to get pregnant for the man, Mm -hmm. and once you are pregnant, for exactly,
3: I mean, you know, they can sit on the edge and put their feet in there. It's just we don't want full immersion in something, you know, that's a hundred and two degrees plus for sure.
1: All right, how about also? There's a lot of myths regarding fertility,
3: and Mm -hmm. um, how about tight underwear? Does that Actually, that is potentially true. Potentially true. Because it holds the testicles up close to the body where there's increased heat. Um, so if there's problems and you wear tight underwear, you might wanna consider a looser underwear like a boxer. Okay, there we go. So plausible.
1: All right, can standing up straight for a long time make you faint, Dr. Cook? We always hear that. If you lock your knees and
2: stand, you're gonna faint. And you know what, we've seen it. You get all that pooling uh, yeah. of the blood down to your mm-hmm. legs, and uh, eventually your blood pressure is going to drop. Mm-hmm.
1: Definitely. It, it always seems to happen at a choir concert mm-hmm. where exactly. people are tight, packed in, usually mm-hmm. someone in the middle rows. I was glad I was short because I was always in the front. It was a little <laughs> bit cooler up front there. So, But definitely don't lock those legs and mm-hmm. don't stand mm-hmm. in one position too long. All right. So cool. Well, we are in cold and flu
3: season. How about taking vitamin C? Will that keep a cold away? Won't keep it away, but vitamin C does help kind of boost your immune system. So okay. it's definitely potentially helpful, but it won't so, make it, it won't keep it away.
1: Okay. So plausible, mm-hmm. plausible benefit, right. low risk. Exactly. Again, if you're not taking, you know, super therapeutic doses higher than, you know, the recommended daily You know, water-soluble
3: vitamins, if you take more than you need, you're just going to pee it out. Very expensive urine. That's exactly (laughs) right. (laughs) All right. Well, lots of pregnancy,
1: Miss. If a woman carries low, does that mean it's a boy? Nope. All the the things, if it means it's a boy or a girl. Are any of those?
3: Nope. Nope. They're all voodoo.
1: (laughs) Okay, what about the heartbeat like average heart rate? No, nope.
3: no nope. I actually tracked that in residency just uh-huh. for fun. No. okay, absolutely not true. So the ultrasound's probably a little bit more accurate way absolutely of, mm-hmm. I'm
1: telling. How about uh, heartburn and hair? always oh, talk about oh baby's going to have lots of hair Not proven. We see
2: a lot of it though. Right. I see a lot of babies yeah. with yeah. hair. Exactly. <laughs> so. exactly.
3: But no, some moms do claim uh-huh. that, you know, the baby that had the more hair was the one that caused them the most heartburn and discomfort, but there's no yeah. actual yeah. proof. Okay.
1: All right. How about this one? Does coffee stunt your growth? I know lots of my colleagues will need to know about that one. Uh, no. Yep. No. Okay. Which is good because I was always I think that's again how you keep kids away from drinking your coffee as a grown up say oh it'll stunt your growth you can't have it so nope. all right how about this one does plucking gray hairs make more grow in their place no Let's see
3: that causing it no. does plucking non-gray hairs so. make more
1: grow in their place
3: nope
1: nope how about um, Yeah, they're always talking about shaving. If you shave legs, will it make it grow back thicker and coarser and?
3: Not technically. I mean, when you first start shaving, your hair is a little finer. So yeah, it might become a little bit more coarse, but it doesn't keep going that direction. It just kind of plateaus. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I I remember my friend telling me that when we were hitting about sixth grade and and started thinking about, you know, shaving legs. and, Mm -hmm. And I was like, I said, Gretchen, Think about it. Our moms have been shaving for how many years? They'd look like Yetis, <laughs> if that were true. So, exactly. all right. Well, our next health is a women's health myth. My medical myth is that Vagisil is helpful
2: for treating vulvar irritation.
1: Oh, vulvar irritation and Vagisil. So easily available over the counter. Is it helpful? It helps
3: with the itch for some people but it doesn't treat anything. Mm-hmm.
1: And you have to know what's causing it. You may mm-hmm. actually just delay getting treatment for something like a yeast infection, mm-hmm. lichen planus. Mm-hmm. You know, it could really delay finding something that's potentially dangerous that needs to get treated. Correct. So all right. Well let's hear what Doctor Abley <laughs> has to say about it.
2: So Vagisil can cause more irritation in the long run, even though it does improve symptoms in the short term. Um, really vulvar skin care should come down to keeping things as dry as possible. So showers as opposed to baths, uh, patting all the way dry, using good. Uh, underwear that is able to wick away moisture, changing it if it does get damp, and um, and can uh, use no underwear at night to help that tissue breathe.
1: All right, well, Dr. Cook, is there an alternative to Vagisil that people could use?
2: I think it kind of depends on what symptoms you're having. If you feel like you may have a yeast infection, you're having itching with some discharge, it would be reasonable to try an over-the-counter yeast treatment. And if it's not getting better than seeing the doctor, or if you know that you're dealing with some dryness, using a good lubricating
1: um, cream can be helpful. Excellent, all right. Well, let's talk about uh, warts. There's lots of myths about what gets rid of a wart. You Mm -hmm. know, rubbing potatoes, I've heard of duct tape, I've heard of all sorts of things. Um, Any home remedies for warts that you guys have found
3: effective for your patients? The duct tape does have some backing to it, I believe, Mm -hmm. but, the ru- rubbing potatoes and things like that that's a no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, touching speaking of rubbing thing um, grabbing frogs,
1: toads, touching them is that going to give you no. warts? No. no. No.
3: Warts are caused by a virus mm-hmm. and so if you you know touch somebody else that has a wart, you could potentially get the virus from them. Okay, mm-hmm. but if catching frogs mm-hmm. you're you're fine. You're fine. Mm-hmm. All right. But don't kiss them. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it, but it still probably won't give you a wart.
1: No. Uh, I I think I read somewhere that after The Princess and the Frog was released, a bunch of children ended up with salmonella from kissing frogs like they did in the movie, thinking they were getting their prints. Gross. So, yes. But yes, I have used the duct tape method with Mm -hmm. kids that are scared of trying anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, Dr. Cook, in the clinic, what would you do to treat warts?
2: We often talk about warts as a virus and it's a lot of times just consistency with trying to get the wart to go away, whether it's some kind of irritating method. So if um, you don't wanna do the -the over-the-counter treatments or the duct tape methods at home, we do have treatment options in the office. There's a little, we call it the beetle juice Mm -hmm. that we can dab onto the wart itself that can help kind of blister up the skin. Or we can actually use a freezing spray that helps to uh, get the wart to go away. And then sometimes even injections into the wart can get them to go away too.
3: But all those methods basically are relying on your own body's immune system. All you're doing is creating an inflammatory response at the site of the wart. You're not actually treating the wart. The body reacts to the inflammation and basically comes in and removes the wart virus. Warts kind of wall themselves off so that they're kind of hiding from the rest of your body and by creating that inflammatory response, that's how we get them to go away.
1: Yeah. Actually, I had a residency attending who was doing research on complementary and alternative medicine, and he talked about doing guided visualization with kids to try to treat warts and have them imagine a little spaceship that like narrows down to subatomic particles and they go into the wart and then your little spacemen are zapping the wart and shooting at it and he had some actually some decent success with it for kids again that are afraid of needles, don't want to mm. be frozen, don't want anything touching it, you know telling them to imagine there was a spaceship and they're gonna attack the warp virus. It worked, it was, it was okay. kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what the human body is, is able to do. Absolutely. So very fascinating with that. All right, well, let's get some more myths here. If you cross your eyes too long, will they stay that way? No. No, no. okay. <laughs> All right, good. well, let's hit our next health professional video to talk about osteoarthritis.
5: Uh, one medical myth is that after a total joint replacement, or a hit, total hip or total knee replacement, you can uh, redevelop osteoarthritis.
1: Well, Dr. Burterson, um do you have patients that deal with osteoarthritis? Oh, absolutely. It's very common. It's extremely common. All right, so uh, what would you tell people if they came in and asked that?
3: Well, um, what, was the, what was the question again, I guess? I think I missed the like question part. The
1: knee is replaced. If the knee, once the knee is replaced, can you, can you get arthritis? arthritis in that?
3: Well, no, because no. the joint it's is gone. It's not gone. there. Yeah, no. It's, it's okay. gone. <laughs> it's just the mechanics.
1: Yep. There you go. So, All right. Well, let's hear what Dr. Rasmussen's answer is. Uh,
5: the fact is when you have a total joint replacement, you've replaced all of the cartilage surface with a mechanical component. Um, and thus there's no more room for cartilage to uh, wear out. This is in contrast to a partial uh, uh, knee replacement or a hemiarthroplasty in which part of the joint is uh, maintained.
1: All right, well, Dr. Cook, what are some things we can do to help alleviate that aches and pains that people have with osteoarthritis Mm -hmm. uh, who don't get that total joint replacement?
2: Mm -hmm. The least risky things would be topical, like doing heat or ice, whichever one feels better. Strengthening around the joint to help with the pain can be helpful. Sometimes compression or bracing can be helpful. Topical creams can be helpful too. And then if there's pain medications that you're able to take, like acetaminophen or ibuprofen,
1: um, naproxen, Alright, well let's deal with our last video, it deals with palliative care.
2: So a medical myth associated with uh, palliative medicine and hospice is that palliative medicine and hospice, if if you elect to go down that pathway with your care, will somehow um, shorten your life or that it's the same as giving up hope.
1: All right, so I'm sure you both have patients that have been on hospice. Has that been your
3: experience? Is it shortening life, are we giving up? No, absolutely not. Um, People who go into palliative care already have a known Shortened life expectancy due to illness or something. It doesn't even have to be illness, it just can be old age. So, no, actually, palliative care helps the patients and the families in particular because there are so many myths surrounding people's and dying. For example, uh, when my grandfather was kind of on a downhill slide, my grandmother was so worried about him eating. And, you know, it was when the hospice people came in and they explained to her that he really isn't hungry and actually eating would make him feel worse she finally understood that it's okay that he's not eating
1: excellent well let's hear what Dr. Jaris has to say
2: Um, with palliative medicine of course our focus is on symptom management and maybe finding a different way um, to sort of view hope um, if you will and certainly with hospice um, you know we're never giving up Uh, patients still can receive excellent care, their families can receive excellent support. And in many occasions, depending upon the disease process, life is actually um, goes on um, for longer than we might otherwise expect, where patients live much longer than six months or even a year with the support of hospice care.
1: All right, well, we'll be back after this.
0: Have you downloaded and subscribed to the Prairie Doc Podcast? Health professionals join host Laura Ellsworth each week to discuss and take questions about timely medical information. Search Prairie Doc on Apple, Spotify, SoundClouds, or wherever you find podcasts today.
1: Myths are just stories we tell ourselves and others to make sense of the world around us. Myths convey beliefs or values. An attempt to tell truths. In their effort to tell the truth, myths may exaggerate or misrepresent things. Sometimes this misrepresentation is innocent, while other times it is used as a tool to regulate or manipulate people. Myths can be used to give a sense of power and control in an overwhelming situation. Of the many types of myths, the ones that deal with medicine are particularly common. A person's life can feel out of control during times of sickness or injury. It is easy to feel powerless when one's body is not feeling or acting normally. A story that helps explain why this is happening can be comforting. A story can assign blame to whom or what caused this. It can also serve as a lesson or a warning to others. In every myth, there is usually some small bit of truth that makes it believable. Look at the myth, going out with wet hair will cause you to catch pneumonia. It serves as a warning. If you do this, you could put your health in danger. Countless college students running late to early morning classes have tested this myth, including me. Science has proven that bacteria or viruses in the air entering your lungs cause pneumonia, not wet hair. If you Google, Does going out with wet hair make you sick? You will get over 50 million results in less than a second. If you look long enough, you will find at least one page to support whatever stance you want to take on this. Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic both have websites stating this is a myth. Some websites say this is a myth, but And they go on to hypothesize subtle correlations between having wet hair and lowering nasal passage temperatures just enough to increase susceptibility to a virus that may already be there. Of course, there will always be grandmothers who insist that they are right, regardless of what any doctor, institution, or the internet says. We live in an age of easy information. With so many answers and opinions, it's very easy to get overwhelmed and not know who or what to believe. This is why we at The Prairie Doc have strived to bring in experts each week to give health information that is based on science and built on trust. We know that without science, we cannot bring you accurate information. More importantly, without trust, it really does not matter what we tell you. We hope that over the last 20 years, we have earned that trust. Please continue to tune in to South Dakota Public Television, Facebook or YouTube, and ask those questions. We are here for you and truly look forward to discussing your questions each week. We will help you separate medical myth from fact so you can stay healthy out there. Well, thank you to our guests, Dr. Cook and Dr. Broderson for volunteering their time to help us learn the truth about medical myths and old wives tales. If you would like to see and hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, or visit us at prairieduck.org. Look for Prairie Duck Perspectives in your local newspaper and online. Listen to us live every Wednesday morning at 9.30 on KBRK Brookings. And be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, wherever podcasts can be found. From all of us here at On Call with the Prairie Doc, thanks for joining us for another episode of health information based on science, built on trust. Until next time, stay healthy out there, people.
4: Very cells they were meant to protect? When your immune system turns on you, autoimmune diseases, next time, On Call with the Prairie Doc.
6: Hi, I'm Joni Holm, I'm the on the Board of Directors of Healing Words. Well, there's so much to learn about our bodies. We take care of our cars in certain ways, we take care of Uh, our houses and our lawns, but do we take care of ourselves? So by watching and learning, there's just so much to gain. I can think of so many examples with our guests talking about, you know, how many times your heart beats a day, and that if you don't take care of it, that, that machine is damaged and certainly our skin, we don't take care of our skin. So it's an education for everybody and there's so much to learn about our bodies. There's so much misinformation out there and there's so much advertising involved with medicine that it's hard to decipher what's true and what's not. And Rick believed in providing education without any bias. So, he wanted the public to see the truth and be able to decipher on their own what was good for them and what wasn't. And an example of that is when a neighbor needed some information about uh, care for her father, and not only Prairie Doc provides some background information, but it happened to be the physician her father was going to see. So. She learned about the illness. She learned about the physician by seeing him in our archives. Prairie Doc is a nonprofit. Our four Prairie Docs and our guest physicians all volunteer their time people might think, well, why do I need to donate if it's a volunteer project? Well, there's a lot behind the scene. We've got the studio, we've got the time, we've got the cameras and the lights and the students that are involved in the production. It takes many, many hours for every show, and that's what your dollars, as you donate, go to. So, we, we really need the support, and we appreciate the support. For more information, go online, www.prairiedoc.org, and to donate, you can mail a check to our post office box at 752 Brookings, South Dakota, 57006, or you can go online, and there's, on the top line, there's a little donate button, and we really would appreciate your donations because we couldn't do this, A, if you weren't watching and enjoying it, but B, if we didn't have the donations for the ongoing cost. Thank you for your support.
5: Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Duck has been provided by.
4: At Avera, our nationally recognized health system will be right here with you, with care and coverage. Hello possibility, hello healthy,
0: Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Doc as it continues to open doors for important medical information.
5: And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions. Brookings Health System. Ophthalmology Limited. South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians. Avera Heart Hospital. First Bank and Trust. Dakota Allergy and Asthma. Vance Thompson Vision. Monument Health. Black Hills Medical Society. Brookings Madison Flandreau District Medical Society. Pier District Medical Society, Sioux Falls District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Orthopedic Institute, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swiftel Communications.